Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Peter Greer on what he calls the gift of disillusionment. When you take the word apart, you begin to hear what it really means, disillusionment, the loss of an illusion, the end of make-believe. And I think that really is the piece that anyone who wants to serve, anyone who wants to go and try and make an impact in the world, your initial idealism, uh, it is going to be confronted by reality. And the reason why it's a gift is because it's an opportunity to explore what is it that is going to keep us going in those inevitable challenges. Peter Greer. Next. Peter Greer says disillusionment can be a gift when it leads to true Christian hope. And it's that kind of hope that sustains believers in long-term service. Peter Greer is the president and CEO of Hope International and co-author, along with Chris Hurst, of The Gift of Disillusionment, Enduring Hope for Leaders When Idealism Fades. Peter, tell us why you and Chris wrote this book and why now. Yeah, well, we started the book in 2019, and really it was in a season uh, when we thought we were having some incredible challenges. And the question was, what can we learn from leaders that last? What can we learn from leaders that have been able to hold on to hope even after incredible challenges, seasons of discouragement, and, and, uh, and times of disillusionment? Now, that date, 2019, when we started this project, little did we know what was going to be in store and uh, for Hope International, the work that we do, um, the challenges that we had before that uh, seem minor in comparison to what has happened since. Uh, we were founded in Ukraine. That's one of our largest countries of operation. And so caring for our staff and, and families in Ukraine over the last number of months, um, active in Haiti and that country has had season after season of, of, of heightened challenge. And then the places that we work, places of poverty around the world and all of the disruption. So I say all that to say that the challenges of the last uh, couple of years in particular has made this message feel even more poignant, even more important for us. And um, in some ways, we've kind of, it feels tragic uh, that the timing of this feels like there has only been an increase in a discouragement or cynicism. What is the source of our hope? What is it that does sustain us even in those most difficult seasons of challenge? And you didn't say it uh, specifically, but of course, overlaying all of that was the COVID global pandemic. And of course, I can only imagine what that, what that meant to you and to your work of of trying to uh trying to help people yeah you're exactly right so there are approximately 100 million people went back into extreme poverty as a result of the disruption of the last few years but but it wasn't just our world uh we were impacted in a particular way but there are three things that have come out after the book was published just in the last couple months that i found so sobering 
Um, and maybe you've talked about these already or seen them, but Barna did a study and found that 38% of U.S. pastors have thought about quitting full-time ministry in the past year. That number gets to 46% of those that are under the age 45. So those involved in full-time vocational ministry, it has been a tough couple of years. Uh, teachers uh, right now, um, according to the American Psychological Association, 49% of teachers have reported a desire to quit or transfer schools. And then most significantly, a recent report came out that said 90% of nurses are considering leaving the profession in the next year. So we are at a time that the last few years, it has impacted all of us. And again, discouragement, yeah, and people questioning, how do I keep serving when it is so much harder than I initially thought? Well, of course, that's what your your book is getting at. That's what this conversation will be about. Your book is The Gift of Disillusionment, Enduring Hope for Leaders After Idealism Fades. Well, what is uh, disillusionment, Peter, and why do you call it a gift? <laughs> yeah, well, we certainly, uh, it does not feel like a gift, but maybe just the initial stage. I know when I first got involved in global missions and poverty alleviation, um, I had so much excitement about what this was going to be like, about families working their way out of poverty, about the hope of the gospel uh, reaching nations, and about the privilege and opportunity of being part of it. Um, and I have now been doing this work uh, for over 20 years, and I still have that belief of what is possible, but my idealism has also been tempered by the reality of just how hard this is. And, you know, there are days when it seems that everything that can go wrong has gone wrong. And there are those days too. So disillusionment, uh, we believe, is this moment when our beliefs, our expectations are challenged by our circumstances. And the question is, what do we do in those moments? And the reason why we've come to believe that it is paradoxically a gift is because we believe that is a moment to actually let go of some of the illusions. Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor has this great line, and she says, our disillusionment, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> When you take the word apart, you begin to hear what it really means, disillusionment, the loss of an illusion, the end of make-believe. And I think that really is the piece that anyone who wants to serve, anyone who wants to go and try and make an impact in the world, your initial idealism, uh, it is going to be confronted by reality. And the reason why it's a gift is because it's an opportunity to explore what is it that is going to keep us going in those inevitable challenges and it's a gift because it reminds us to say, and where is our hope? Is our hope in our ability to grit it out? Is our hope in our ability to engineer a solution to every challenge? Is our hope rooted in us? Or is there an invitation to find our hope in a very different source? And I do want to ask you, too, uh, the uh, framework, providing the framework for the book, The Gift of Disillusionment, is the prophet Jeremiah in his book. And I'm wondering if you can tell us what, it is, what is it about his message and, and his book that, that provides this framework for what it is that you're saying, you and Chris Horst are saying in your book. I so appreciate that. And we did not start to write a book uh, that was really um, had the, the prophet Jeremiah's words woven throughout it. But if you think of anyone that has been on this journey, um, it is the prophet Jeremiah, because he received this call when he was only a teenager that God says, Jeremiah, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And you can imagine what that would have been like to have a call like that on your life. That would be incredible. And then he steps out and 
everything goes wrong. I mean, you look at what he faced, um, the death threats, the assaults, the imprisonment, the way that he was put in stocks in front of the Benjamin Gate, he was mocked, he was left in a, uh, a cistern to die. And then not only that, he watches his beloved homeland uh, fall to an absolutely wicked invader of the Babylonians. And so, you know, he's known as the weeping prophet. And there certainly is a lot that he has to mourn and lament and, and weep about. But there's actually, uh, Samuel Hildebrand says, uh, that's actually the wrong moniker. Um, he should be known as the persevering prophet mm. because he kept staying faithful to this call on his life, even when everything fell apart. And I believe the key in this is this little passage that's tucked in Jeremiah 17. But we really found this to be so incredible, looking at the life of Jeremiah and how he was able to sustain his service, even after that idealism was long gone. But it gives this contrast, um, and it's a story of some who say, it says Jeremiah 17, it says, Cursed are those who put their trust in mere humans who rely on human strength and turn their hearts away from the Lord. So maybe in modern uh, business language, you know, those are that say, I'm going to be resilient enough. I'm going to be gritty enough. I'm going to solve these problems that, that come. But it says that is not the way. That's like a stunted shrub or one translation says that's like a tumbleweed. When the drought comes, you blow away. But then it says the second piece, and this is why this moment of disillusionment we really believe can be a gift because it can reorient us not to go inward, but to go upward. And Jeremiah 17 says this, it says, but blessed are those who trust in the Lord and made the Lord their hope and confidence. And you look at, you know, the, the most commonly quoted verse uh, in the in the entire Old Testament is Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope in a future. If you just take those words out of context, they sound like cheery memes uh, that are right. disconnected from the challenges that we all face. But when you put them in their original context, the reason why Jeremiah can say that is because there is a hope that is independent of circumstance. There is a hope that is rooted not in our abilities, but in a God who is present even in the most painful moments. And that is the way to sustain our service. The book is, by the way, The Gift of Disillusionment, Enduring Hope for Leaders After Idealism Fades. My guest is Peter Greer. He is president and CEO of Hope International. He wrote the book with Chris Horst. And as I recall, the book had a very helpful uh, illustration in it, uh, Peter, that when disillusionment comes, there's a couple of different paths, at least, but two major ones that you can go. One is turning outward which leads uh, to God, which leads to hope, and then one is to basically turning inward, which leads to, tends to lead to cynicism, and kind of the opposite of that. It takes you in the, in the wrong way. How, what determines which way we turn? Yeah, there's this quote by George Carlin, uh, comedian, uh, but he said, he said, scratch any cynic, and you'll find a disappointed idealist. Mm. So uh, according to him, it's those moments when, when, when your idealism fades in his worldview, that leads to cynicism. And we see that a lot. Those individuals that have given up, it's too difficult. This work is too hard. People don't change. This is impossible. And, and yeah. that leads to a spirit of cynicism. But again, what we did in this book was to find leaders that have had this enduring hopefulness, um, and to ask what has made the difference, what has made the difference? And it really is very simple uh, to say, but 
oh, very difficult to put into practice, but it's when those, the most challenging moments come, where do we turn? And again, speaking the words that God spoke through the prophet Jeremiah again and again, more than any other phrase in the book, uh, God is calling out and he says, return to me, return to me, return to me. And I believe that's the difference. Um, we go inward. That leads to an unhealthy place of cynicism. We give up, we check out, and we have an uh, eye roll for anyone that uh, is in the earlier stages of their career trying to make an impact. Or we find a way of saying, you know what, you're right. We've reached the end of our abilities. But what an incredible moment to realize that and then to call out to the God that says, return to me, return to me. And I believe that is where strength is. That is where hope is. That is where long-lasting service can be found. Well, Peter, tell us who these global leaders you profile in your book are, uh, if you could give us an overview of them, and why did you select the ones that you did? Yeah, so this was, uh, again, the, 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 the great gift of this book, and I sure hope it is a helpful reminder to readers. I know the impact that it made on Chris and on me and on Jill and Brianna as we went through the writing process. But in many ways, the news that we read uh, that is that is coming at us is bad news and then more bad news. Mm -hmm. Story of failure after failure. And if we're not careful, we can believe that that's the whole story, that it is a story of this leader falling, this organization imploding, this way of getting off track. And yet there are so many other counterexamples of individuals that perhaps are less well-known, but are faithfully serving and it's measured in decades. So what we did is we reached out to our global uh, friends, colleagues, partners, and said, who are those leaders that have lasted with an, an unusual ability uh, to respond to challenge and to do it in such a winsome um, and hopeful way? And then we started either getting on, um, having conversations with them or having Zoom calls. And it was, I, I cannot emphasize um, the delight that it was to silence the doom scrolling, mm -hmm. to silence the bad news, and to hear stories from humble leaders that have just been faithfully getting after it, that many of whom I had never had the privilege of meeting before. But I mean, we hit a variety of context. Um, we hit foster care. Um, our family's done foster care in a small way. Um, and those individuals that have done it and had over 100 um, individuals in their home, just how do you keep serving when you have had challenge after challenge? Individuals that are in education, individuals that are in global development. Um, we talked about Haiti just a few minutes ago, the challenge there. I wanted to find someone that had been faithfully serving in Haiti um, and then across sectors. But the thing that, again, was so absolutely surprising and delightful is that even though the stories were diverse, even though the geographies were diverse, even though the places of service were diverse, there were common themes that came up again and again and again and again. And I remember one of the interviews with Reverend Fry Mutamiri in uh, Zimbabwe. I just had another call uh, with, uh, with Tita um, in Guatemala, and the themes were just the same. It was it was the same themes about what causes a leader to last. Um, and so anyway, just the commonalities, even through this very diverse group of individuals. And to me, that was the best part of the research. The best part of the writing was just, um, yeah, having counterpoints to what we read in the news, uh, silent, uh, perhaps less well-known, but stories of long-term faithfulness that I think the world needs to hear. And those themes, uh, you've probably touched on them in, in one way or another, but can you kind of tick them off for us, those themes you say that were repeated over and over? 
Oh man. I mean, there's, there's so many, um, but the initial uh, one that came was really this, like recognizing their own um, inability uh, to serve. Like the challenges are too big. And, and so just an acknowledgement of the enormity of the task um, in that and how that actually became a freeing recognition when they reached the end of their abilities. Um, every single one of them was not an individual story. They were all so quick to say, but let me tell you of the individuals that have walked with me uh, on there. One uh, friend told me, he said, you know, in my context in, in rural Rwanda, he said, I know we have to have four friends at any time that are willing to meet you at 3 a.m., and I was like, why four friends? And he said, well, that's how many people it takes to carry a stretcher um, in that uh, in that place. And so every single one of them had their group of individuals that they walked with. Um, yeah. So uh, calling uh, is super clear, like that initial moment to say this is almost in the words of William Wilberforce, like this, Claire, this is the mission of my life. Um, this is very clear, almost like what Jeremiah had. This is what I'm about, the gift of doing it in community. Anyway, I could go on, but uh, uh, each chapter is kind of a different theme that we heard again and again. And while it's told through one of the individual stories, uh, those themes are what came up again and again in the interviews. Well, it's interesting. You, you often hear people say, well, one thing I can count on is that God does not give me more than I can handle. And I think in your book, you point out God does give us more than we can handle on our own. So that's a great distinction, and I think it is not accurate to say God does not give us more than we can handle. Every single individual profile has felt that they have been given more than they can handle, but that's the gift of it. Uh, they are not on their own. And, you know, it oftentimes is not quoted, but I think about what Jesus said in John 16, um, you know, that it's very rarely do we see this quoted on wall art, but it's one of my favorite verses. In this world, you will have trouble. Mm. <laughs> not you might have trouble, not 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 uh, not you won't have trouble, but in this world you will have trouble. It's supposed to be hard. We were given fair warning. But then the absolutely beautiful part that comes afterwards, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart, there is an end of the story. Take heart, my presence is enough in the trouble that you will inevitably face. And that to me is so wonderfully freeing and it just feels so true that yes this is supposed to be really hard and i think you mentioned in your book uh the gift of disillusionment that these leaders all traveled that path that we're talking about from idealism to disillusionment that's exactly right and you know sometimes it was a short that initial idealism it didn't last very long i think of reverend um fry again um you know and how he would tell his parishioners uh, in Zimbabwe during a time that he was speaking out against the government uh, that was going down a path of corruption very much like Jeremiah was speaking out against the corruption of the kings and and uh, the religious leaders of the time. But he said, uh, when you come to church, don't forget two things. Don't forget your Bible and don't forget a wet towel when the gas, um, the tear gas is thrown into our congregation. Mm. That was his reality. That is what he was living through. And yet there still was a hopefulness, um, even in the midst of, yeah, I just can't imagine that being the reality on a Sunday morning. Bring your Bible, bring a wet cloth for when the tear gas is thrown in. And idealism, uh, you, you say, uh, is good, but it, it ultimately it's, it, it can't last because we're in a broken world. 
That's right. Yeah. I have never found a leader that uh, has started out in service. And Bill, probably your journey. I wish we could hear more of yours too, but what you think it's going to be like. And I never have had anyone say, you know what? It was actually easier than I thought. (laughs) There were fewer challenges. There were there are fewer interpersonal dynamics. Like it was easier than I thought. You also say disillusionment then is a, and I like this phrase, a pivot point on every leader's journey. And again, the pivot point, um, there are, this is like a little, perhaps it's it's reflected in the recent stats, uh, but there are a lot of leaders, whether it is in the church or in schools or in hospitals or that entered into a field of service Maybe it's joining a board. Maybe it's a mid-career professional. Like there's a lot of people that step out in service with an expectation of what it is going to be like. But then that expectation is confronted and challenged and dented and worn down by the challenges that they face. And and I think that's really why uh, we believe it's a pivot point, because there are some that give up. Some that say, I mean, I'm out. And I I think that's reflected in those recent stats. Survey after survey right now says there are more and more people in areas of service that are saying, it's just too hard. I can't do it. I am daydreaming about either a retirement age or, or getting out or switching career. And yet there are others that face those same challenges, those same seasons of drought, those same incredible challenges. And yet there still is that ability to hold on to a hopefulness, even in the midst of of seasons of challenge. So that pivot point, it goes to either good sense, a deeper sense of hope or cynicism. And I don't think, um, yeah, the choice is obvious. I think that that pivot point um, for all of us is a question to say in those moments, what is it that is going to sustain our service when it is more difficult than we initially thought? And I do have to ask you in our, in our minutes that we have left here, uh, early on you made reference to foster care. And, and I'm wondering if you can talk about, I mean, obviously you you are the president and CEO of Hope International. These, these um, issues uh, that we've been talking about, these insights from the scriptures and from experience are, uh, apply there. But in your own life, uh, can you talk about your own journey with foster care and how you found these these principles to be every bit as real there? I mean, so there was this conviction, I'll never forget it. It's my wife and I were at a presentation and as part of the presentation um, at a local church, the number was shared of how many kids in our community were right now waiting for a home. Mm. And we looked at ourselves and we were we were not expecting this showing up, but we looked and said, we've got room. Um, we've got love in our hearts. And it changed it from why should we to why shouldn't we? Um, and so we stepped out and I'll never forget also the training. You'll go into the training and on the wall are all these beautiful pictures of sunset to beaches, of families holding hands with giant smiles. And I would say that was our idealism phase. That ended quickly. (laughs) No one goes into foster care because everything is great. Um, You're entering into a broken situation that is not right. And there is harm and there is hurt. And you cannot love others without feeling a little bit of that hurt as well. And so it it has been the most challenging thing that we have ever done um, as a family. And, and I hate even talking about the impact on our family because, you know, the kids that are in foster care, they have had 
way more um, than we have. Um, but it also has turned into this beautiful piece. And there was a moment, um, yeah, very clearly when I thought we were done as a family. It was too hard. It was too difficult. The system is broken. I found the alluring pull into cynicism in my own life in a way that I never had hmm. before. Um, but it actually was meeting Anne. Uh, we tell her story, but she had had over 100 kids and she just reoriented our hope uh, and invited us into the challenge, the reality of the challenge, but reminded us of the hope that we have. Um, and I am so thankful we got back in and um, it has been yeah, a transformative, a transformative part of our family. I can't imagine our life without, um, yeah, our kid, two biological, two adopted. Um, I can't imagine our life without this journey. And I am so thankful that we had someone speak truth at a moment that we needed to do, walk away from the path to cynicism and to choose a path of enduring hope. Mm. And, and for many, of course, and, and we touched on this as well at the beginning with, with uh, COVID and how it radically changed, uh, particularly the lives of the poor around the world, but really uh, everybody's life in one way or another. Uh, how, uh, I, I suppose, are there practices that you have personally embraced or recommend to others to who might find themselves uh, disillusioned or cynical for various reasons at this time. Yeah. Bill, there's so many, there's so many, there's so many, but if I could just give one, um, I, I I would say just stop the doom scrolling, like stop the constant uh, feeding and reading of, of all that is wrong in our world, of all the challenges. And there have been so many studies that have been done about the disproportionate way that bad news captures our attention. I do not think that is good for our soul. I do not think that is good to sustain our service. So I would say in one practice, find those individuals in your life that actually have figured out a way to have long-term service and go to them. <laughs> buy coffee, have a conversation and ask a simple question. What sustains your hope? Um, that is what we did in this book. And I know the impact that it made on my heart over these incredibly challenging uh, last few years. We need to be reminded of good stories of faithful long-term service in our world. Um, and I would just say, turn down the volume on all that's wrong, on all the challenges, turn up the volume on faithful examples of, of individuals that have figured out how to love God and love their neighbor for the long term. And let's elevate those stories in our lives. Any last thoughts you would leave us with, Peter, about sustaining that hope, about uh, connecting that hope to our long term service, whether as a as a Christian leader or just as a as a believer in general? I mean, the only thing, Bill, we, I have a friend, Kurian, um, who read the book and he was so kind, uh, but he basically took the content of the book, uh, created an online survey. Mm. Uh, you go to thegiftofdisillusionment.com. It actually is a survey and it can plot where are you in this journey from idealism to disillusionment to cynicism to hope. And so I would just say, if you want to continue the conversation, that's a great way if you go to thegiftofdisillusionment.com. Um, yeah, as a way of continuing to figure out where are we in our journey that I hope all of our journeys end in a place of true um, and significant hopefulness. You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Peter Greer, president and CEO of Hope International and co-author along with Chris Erstoff, 
the gift of disillusionment, enduring hope for leaders when idealism fades. Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join us again on Monday at the same time for another edition of His People.